0: Imagine a place of your own in your name, a place where all your stuff is, where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special home ownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia housing and see how home helps everyone.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Kara Golden Show. I have Allison Medina here, who is the founder of Tech Ladies. I am so excited to have her on. Tech Ladies is the largest community of women in tech. Uh, She started in 2014, actually at a gathering or originally as a gathering for networking in New York City. And it has now grown into a robust community of over a 100,000 Women. She recently exited from the company in a good way, in a transaction. And I'm so excited to hear more about her journey, including how she bootstrapped building what she has and Allison has taken an idea that she was curious about, what, that she really could see through, and turned it into a super thriving community, but also a business that has been incredibly successful. So I'm certain there are a ton of lessons in here. So I'm super thrilled to have
3: her on. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Super, super excited. So, before we get into talking about tech ladies, but also talking about your newest venture, I'll keep that a secret until uh, we get to that. But I would love to hear a bit more about who you are. Like, you started out in uh, New York City, I think, or just outside of New York. And uh, did you always think that you'd be a founder of a company?
3: Yeah, I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs can probably relate to this, but I was definitely that kid, that weird kid who was like trying to work from an early age. So, you know, I sold stuff door to door when I was like nine years old. Um, I There was this catalog that would give you $2 commission per item. And I was a real hustler. Like I was out there doing that. Even when I was a little kid, I had a lemonade stand that made like $50 a day, which is pretty good for a little kid. Um, my parents were like, "Wow, this is actually a lot of money," and I love that feeling. Um, my dad owns his own business, and my grandfather owned a butcher shop when he came over from Italy. So I never thought about that until later, after I had started a business. I looked around and was like, "Oh, I saw people in my family doing that." So I think that some of it's in the probably runs in the genes, and I just had that, you know, when I was born to a little bit, um, you know, wanting to sell, wanting to be an entrepreneur, and just. Um, learning how to do business from an early age. So I've always, I've always been into it. But then I, I um, worked in tech for a bunch of years. I was working on product and marketing teams. And from there, I started to think, okay, if I start something someday, maybe it'll be in tech. But the interesting thing was with all of that behind me, I still didn't really think of Tech Ladies as a business when I first started it. I really started it as a community just to connect other women in tech and to build my own network and solve a problem I had, which was like, I need to know in order to really have a solid career and a network, I need to have a great network of other women who work in tech. And then also this camaraderie of like, hey, it's a real boys club over here. You know, Can we talk to each other about what's going on? And so tech ladies grew out of that um, real need. And so it wasn't until later after having some of these community meetups that it grew into a business. And so I sort of stumbled into creating this community business um, back when people weren't really talking about community businesses or layering community onto your business or what that even means. And so uh, we were one of the early ones to do that and in this way in the world of tech, I guess. So that was kind of interesting how it came about.
2: I love it. So great. So you mentioned Google. Uh, You had seen, um, had some, you know, incredible experience, had seen that there was this huge need um, to really have a place where people could get together and meet and network. But there's a difference between having that concept and actually decided to make a company out of it. Like, what was like the first thing that you thought of when you were thinking about actually developing this into a business?
3: I think there were a couple of things happening at once. One was that we would have actual coffee meetups in New York and connect with each other. And then afterwards, we just wouldn't meet for a couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, this is sad. I I miss talking to other women in tech about so much stuff that we were talking about. So that's where the online community grew. And then from there, um, there were things we wanted to share with each other in between even talking in the community. And then the newsletter grew from there. So it was really layering like one piece on at a time. It wasn't until I started realizing that we had companies who were coming to me just in my personal network saying, do you know anybody? You know, we really want to hire... Um, a woman in this engineering role instead of just another guy. And I was like, wow, I do know people. In fact, I have this community now. And so it, it, I really like stumbled into it being a business. It was so obvious in front of me when I look back now that that's all the pieces of this being a really impactful thing were there. Um,
0: Imagine a place of your own in your name, a place where all your stuff is where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia Housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia Housing and see how home helps everyone. This episode is brought to you by Seed.
3: Yeah. One thing at a time. And so then I started realizing, okay, well, if companies really want to hire these folks, we should charge for it. So big part of the tech ladies business still today is our hiring services and just connecting companies with the best women in tech talent. Um, and so we do the community stuff, we do events, but we are also helping people get hired um, and helping like even out the ratio a little bit. Um Still grinding away after all these years to try to get more women in tech um, and find them amazing jobs. But I'm really proud of all the women in tech that have like found jobs through Tech Ladies, gotten a lot more money, learned how to negotiate their salary. All of these things come out of our community. And so it's been really rewarding to see it grow the way that it has.
2: That's amazing. I heard you say in an interview that you designed tech ladies to be inclusive. What What was the big challenge? I mean, obviously getting more women into these tech roles, um, basically helping women find great roles. But in terms of you know being inclusive and starting a company, I mean, I, I loved that you actually thought about that and really had that focus. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
3: Yeah. I think it was somewhat easy for us to be inclusive in our actual community. You know, We created these this code of conduct really early. We laid out all these rules. I actually, it's funny because I'm not a big fan of rules in my life or for when I'm teaching yeah. people, okay, you got to break all these rules to build a big business. But actually in a community, rules are really great. So we had all these rules, code of conduct. This is how you treat people with respect. This is how you treat people in our event spaces and our online spaces. And because it was so moderated, we grew a really inclusive community. But then another thing we would struggle with is like all of the parts that you can't control. Like what happens when you send a tech lady to a company that is advertising with you? We do our best to make sure this is a company that we would wanna send a tech lady to, but you never really know the ins and outs of a company um, unless you work there. Um, and even then, if you work there, if it's a big company, someone has a great experience and then the same person has a horrible experience with a different boss. So it's really hard to get that right. And so we just always kept like a very open and honest culture within our team and just always went back to doing the right thing for our community members. If we had to make a choice, we have a you know toxic... You know, company that's paying us a lot of money, we would get rid of the toxic company that's paying us a lot of money because one tech lady told us they had a bad interview. So, just like going back to that core of like, what does inclusion mean to us? Can we really walk the walk on this? I think is what made it successful because it's made it people really trust us and understand that like we take that really seriously and that those guardrails are in place. And so it's funny because you have to do both, right? You have to break all these rules because you're an entrepreneur and all of that. But at the same time, you have to um, keep some rules and guidelines in your community so that everybody's protected and feels safe.
2: I love that. Well, that that is, uh, it's definitely, definitely needed for sure. So Did you raise money when you were funding your company? I've also heard you talk about how you feel like there's a lot of companies out there that might not actually need to raise money, even though they could raise money. Um, What's your perspective on all of that?
3: Well, we started with zero dollars. I shouldn't really say zero, but you know, maybe out of my own pocket, like $700 to register in Delaware and all the basic stuff to get the trademark, really just like a couple hundred dollars out of my own pocket. Our first website was a Squarespace website that I made on my couch, you know, so really got started with no money. Um, Then when we started making a little bit of money, I did go out and talk to some friends um, who were. Um, VCs or NVC and get connected and had a few meetings and I quickly realized that there was like this interest. Oh, we can see that it's growing. Oh, we can see that you're an interesting entrepreneur that we might want to work with. But is it the next LinkedIn for women? Like you have to sell me something really big about what this is. And I just felt like that I didn't know. I wanted to let it unfold a little bit um, and see what it really was. And I was very scared to like overpromise something to these. Um, VCs. I'm so glad. Like, I don't think women should operate that way if they're raising capital. I think they should go and move beyond those, that like fear and feelings that they had. But it worked out so well for us that on the flip side, I'm like, we were not the type of company that should have raised venture capital. So we're sort of protected in that way by not having taken it. And then when you create a company that's doing millions in revenue, you have every option in the world. And so People think, oh, well, I have to create a company that's doing billions in revenue to have a return for these investors. It's like, that's really hard to do. Creating a company that does millions in revenue is not as hard as it sounds. And so that's a really good um, thing for people to consider if they're either not going to get venture capital because they don't have the network network or they're being discriminated against, which is real, you know, only 2% of women and underrepresented people even less get venture capital to begin with. So for the other 98% of us, it's like, how are we going to build something? Um, So that's why I love bootstrapping, worked out so well for us and like gave us so many options. And so I think I'm really passionate about that as like a A means, especially because I came up in tech where everybody, the natural thing is just go get a bunch of venture capital and you don't need to do it to build a multi million dollar business. And I want more people to know that.
2: I love that. Well, obviously, it depends on the company and like the category and physical goods versus services and all of those things. But I love that you were able to do something like that and really show that it is possible. What advice would you have for? anyone thinking about building a community, if they're really looking at building out something like you did, what do you think is maybe the the biggest lesson learned along the way?
3: Yeah, I think you, if you're going to build a community business, figuring out how to keep the community and business separate, like really separate hmm. in your mind and in your operating procedures is really important. And so what I mean by that is like, they're going to overlap, they're going to intertwine. But um, most people, when they start a business, they think about their customers. They're like, this is a person that I'm going to sell something to and make money off of and get something from. And a community is the total opposite of that. It's what can I give to these people who may or may not become future customers or paying for the thing that we have. Um, And so then you're really just focused on delivering value. So for us at Tech Ladies, that's like, having great events for them that are free or low cost, um, having a newsletter, having this really active job board. Um, So bringing people in in a way that's free and easy for them to be involved with and actually provides value to them and creating a real, creating and maintaining a real community space. And then, layering a business on in a way that feels right for that community. And people don't want to feel like they're being oversold to or um, that they're, yeah, people don't ever want to be, feel that they're being sold to. So I think keeping them separate is really important.
2: and And inclusive too, right? Like if people are not going to use your service to look for a job, for example, maybe they have a job and they're quite happy, but mm-hmm. I think being able to, having them still feel included in the process. I think you did such a great job with that, for sure.
3: Thank you. Something that we learned that was really interesting is that people even who were really happy in their jobs would stay on the tech ladies mailing list, stay on the newsletter, open up our job drop emails that show all the new jobs because they just wanted to feel Like connected, like, you know, even if you're happy in your job, maybe you're going to leave in a year. Maybe you're going to leave in a few years. People don't stay at jobs that long anymore. So, having something that they can just stay connected, even if they're not looking at the moment, was actually a surprise to us. We were like, wow, even people who are silently looking, not really looking, maybe going to look someday, have a reason to stay in Tech Ladies and stay involved.
2: What was one of the hardest lessons you learned in building this out? We always, uh... You know, there's there's the unexpected things that come up uh, along the way, or I know for many entrepreneurs, it's all the no's that they have to deal with. And uh, whether it's fundraising or getting a supplier to work with you or a customer or whatever it is, I'm curious to hear one of the hardest things that occurred for you.
3: I think for me, it was not hiring fast enough. Like we were growing at a pretty fast rate. And I was like, okay, but who knows if the next month we're going to keep growing. I kept having this feeling that I was getting lucky. Mm -hmm. And instead of actually looking around and saying, no, I created something valuable that's paying off every month and growing more and more, what happened was I was looking around and saying, all right, well, it's working. I better keep it small and keep it just to me and I'll just keep grinding and I'll work 14 hours a day. And obviously not sustainable, like huge lesson for me in that. Um, although, you know, I had the energy, I had the time, I can't do it right now in my life, but I was able to do that then. Um, I'm not saying that that's what people should do. Um, I think I could have hired earlier and gotten better help. So once I made my first few hires, I was like, oh, okay. When you hire great people, they grow your business even faster. Just trusting that. So, um, a little too insular, a little too like per... Protected, not really believing that the success was going to continue. Um, and so over the years, I've really built up, like, um, I'd say much more confidence in, okay, when I see something working, I have reason to believe that it's going to continue to work. And if it doesn't, that I'm going to be able to figure out how to dig out of that hole or pick myself up. Um, so I think that takes time and that takes years of running a business till you get good at that. You know, you're always going to be a little fearful, like, You know, is this just luck? You know, am I, are we just having a good month and it could all fall apart next month? I think after about a year of running the business with it steadily growing was when I started to trust okay, this isn't just some weird fluke. I'm making some right calls, I'm doing something right here. Yeah. um, And building that up in yourself. It's like a confidence thing that takes time to build.
2: So this was your first startup. Uh, you know you had worked for incredible startups of different sizes, but it was your you know first one that you were developing. What did you love most about being a founder?
3: Oh God, everything. I feel like at every job I ever had, you know I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel this way you're like. Really, always like this odd one out to some degree. You know, you want to just drive innovation, or you have all these ideas and no one's listening to you. It's like if you if you're repeatedly hitting that in your career, you might be an entrepreneur. You might be a future founder. Um, I think like just I wanted people to give me the keys and let me run with it. And so when I became a founder, that was one of the best feelings. Like, okay, I have the keys now. This is what I wanted. You know, I wanted the ability to see if I could just grow something. Um, if somebody could put that trust in me, right, and so I think that is you know one of the best parts of being a founder and starting something from scratch.
2: I love that. Do you think you'll do it again? I mean, you are doing a a little bit of a, a of something now a little different than what you were doing before. Do you want to explain a little bit about what that is?
3: Sure I mean right now i'm Technically on a sabbatical, the first time I've ever taken off really in my life, which is weird. And I want this time to really figure out what do I want to do next? Do I have another company in me? If so, what is it? I mean, I get an idea for a new company every day, as I'm sure you can relate to. Totally. Um, But then you're like, okay, could I stay interested in that? Is it am I, do I have the energy? Can I build it up again? So I think I just need to recharge my batteries a little while I figure this out. But Um, I have been writing out everything I learned about bootstrapping a company to millions of dollars in revenue. And so um, writing a book and a newsletter that goes out every week, that's resources for people who are either bootstrapping their companies, just getting started, halfway in the middle of doing it, but stuck, um, or people who just think I might want to do that someday when I build something. Um, So that's the newsletter that I'm working on now called Bootstrap to Millions. And Just getting that out and like really reflecting on everything as I write down all of these lessons of what I learned and what I have to share, and really only want to share what people would find useful and actionable.
2: Well, it's it's a really really good newsletter, and I think there's probably a book in the works as you and I were just talking about because it sounds like you have a lot to give to people, um, especially I think. That you're in an interesting position too, because you were definitely building your own business, but then you were around a lot of people who, you know, were not necessarily entrepreneurs, but they were working for entrepreneurs and maybe thinking about one day that they would be doing that. So I think you probably heard a lot of things along the way too. So uh, really, really valuable for sure. Super great. So what advice would you give aspiring entrepreneurs knowing what you know today about starting and scaling a business?
3: I think it's basically just get started, put something out, don't overthink it. Um, there don't over plan it because you can't plan it anyway. You're going to be zigging and zagging. you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, really just that, you know, it's practice. You have to, if you're a perfectionist or if you like to do things a certain way, you have to undo all of that in yourself in order to get anything out there, um, And everybody that is successful, you'll find, did or is doing that. Um, They're just getting it out and getting started and figuring out as they go and like falling on their face a little bit and, um, you know, developing a thicker and thicker skin. I think I have a really thick skin for like failure, being perceived as not succeeding. Like I just, like I, I have that, but it takes a lot more than the average person to make me feel that. But that came from like losing a lot, losing my, losing jobs. I've been fired, um, you know, needing to pick myself back up many, many times in my career. Um, And so I think that you build a thick skin when you do that and all leads to you being able to do something bigger each time.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's uh, like you were talking about earlier. I think it's confidence too, right? I mean, it's, it's that if you think back on those, times when maybe you didn't think you were able to achieve something and then you actually did, uh, it just helps you to become stronger and stronger. So for sure, I think those lessons that, that you learn along the way are really, really helpful for the future, for sure. So Tech Ladies was acquired last year. Congratulations. Thank you. And you were sharing that you stayed on to really help integrate the company, which is terrific. And you're no longer a part of it, except you're an advisor, uh, right? Still on the company, which is great. So how did that come about? I think having an acquisition is always a little bit of a black box for people. You know, How does that come about? There's a lot of different ways for it to come about, but how did it come about for you?
3: Yeah, we were approached for our acquisition. So what it became for us after that was really this question of like is this the right time? Are these the right people to partner with? Um and so many things just kept falling into place as like a yes for that to be the right thing. For me as a founder, I think one of the most challenging things was like, okay, I'm going to give up my baby. And that was really scary. And I was like, okay, but this is another challenge. Like, I'm interested in figuring out this challenge because I've never done this before. And now I'm so glad that I pushed myself through those feelings of, like, oh, can I part with my baby? I won't be the one overseeing everything forever, you know? I'm really lucky to be able to have hired our GM, who is like my right hand. Her name is Carol Griffin. We worked together for years. Um, She was my dream pick for this role. So I feel like, it's in such good hands, and so I think that's really important. So I think one lesson for people might be, like don't assume that these things are going to play out a certain way. You know, everybody tried to scare me when we talked about doing an acquisition. They're like, oh, you know, most of them don't go through, and um, you know, you'll lose all the control and everything, And so yes, you have to like settle with that in yourself and be okay with that. But at the same time, um, there are opportunities and things you can learn by giving up this control and you don't have to do it overnight, right? So I was there for a year, really wanted to make sure that our community and our team was integrated fully without me. And it was a really fun project to be like, what happens when I step back from this? What happens if I let this play out? And, you know, part of it is you learn that Other people can do things in a way that you wouldn't do them. Um, And sometimes better, you know, like you're not, sometimes you're like, "Mm, I would have done it that way. And it turns out you were right. But sometimes you look and you're like, you know what, handing over this control opened up some new things for us. Um, So I think that that's really important step for any leader or executive is to get good at letting go of control um, at the right strategic times for your company to let it move on and grow without you. And I think that that's like a spiritual part of it too, is just like, we think these things are us. We think they're our identity. We're think- we think they're everything, you know, when we build a business that we really love and care about. Um, but they don't belong to us. They belong to, for tech ladies, they belong to the community. They belong to the people who are using it or, or getting something out of it. And so it's not really about you. It's about, you know, what's the best thing for them and the next phase and what's really going to grow it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, I I love that. Did you know that you were going to stay for a year? I'm just curious, or was that like a set time or was it just until it kind of gets integrated?
3: Yeah, I kind of had like the option to stay on fully, stay on for a while, stay on for a short period. And so, um, yeah, I basically stayed on for a year. I think it was the perfect amount of time and like super happy with how it turned out. So...
2: That's great. Well, and now you have time to think about what you're gonna do next. I think we're gonna hear a lot more from Allison Medina. And I don't think you're done being a founder. I think you're gonna do go a stuff. I don't do know. I don't think so stuff. either.
3: You know, I think I just need a little rest, but come back rejuvenated and start something else
2: no it's super, super great, and you should be very, very proud of everything that you've built and done oh, yeah. and you've helped a lot of people more than anything. I think that it's uh it's really you've been that that bridge for so many people to either find jobs uh find a community so it's uh it's super amazing to to sort of know that you were that bridge, right I mean, when you think back on it
3: Thank you so much. It means so much coming from you because you're one of my business heroes. So so even getting to be on this podcast is so exciting and like just getting to learn from you over the years. I'm so glad we've been in touch and, you know, we need more of you too.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again for coming on and thanks everyone for listening. Uh, We'll have everything in the show notes to connect with Allison and also Tech Ladies and Bootstrap to Millions and everything. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness.